Thanks, Steve, for hanging in there through all of the technical difficulties. Speaking of which, following the sermon, we have the opportunity to sing O Holy Night, but we are missing a few key words in your bulletin. So if you would watch the lyrics that are on the screen after uh, for that song, that would be most helpful when you're singing along. The Old Testament reading today comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The New Testament reading comes from Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, O Lord, may the words just read and the words to come point to Emmanuel, God with us and for us. Amen. So I love the beginning of Isaiah 40. I can't read it without the music of the Messiah playing in my head as a background. And those opening words, comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly. This time of year, perhaps more than any other time, we so desperately need comfort and tenderness. I don't know about you, but I seem to carry in my heart the nostalgic memories of what this season should be, and sometimes when we compare that against the reality of our lives, we find ourselves in a valley that may feel dark and lonely. For many of us, this goes all the way back to our childhood. 
There is something so powerful about the home we were born into. Maybe it's because it's our first taste of love. Maybe it's because it's all we know for a long time. And it's during those formative years. So good or bad, it's familiar and it belongs to us. If we were blessed with relatively healthy parents, we received discipline and gentleness, encouragement and correction. If done right, we feel valued and loved. If not, we carry with us even a deeper longing for our soul to feel its worth. And then, as we build a family, perhaps becoming parents, the connection to our kids is so powerful, it's like kryptonite that can bring us to our knees. I believe this can happen with any close relationship where unconditional love is the language that's spoken. With great love comes great opportunity to bust open our hearts. So when you reflect on the memories of home, and especially home for Christmas, What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? I see big snowflakes drifting down from the sky, Christmas cookies baking, hot chocolate made on the stove, wood fires crackling, kids sledding and laughing. And I smell a real Christmas tree that we cut down and drug through the snow and put into our pickup truck. I see multicolored lights and presents, and joyful people singing. It's kind of like a scene from the Who's down in Whoville. But of course, there's also church services, and family visits, and amazing food, and time. Time for puzzles, and card games, and board games. In rural Montana in the 1970s with, I don't know, three television channels and no internet, I thought that this is what Christmas is like for everybody, everywhere. But of course, no one saw, and we didn't talk about the darker side of our Christmas. My dear dad, who died when he was only 54 years old, struggled with alcoholism almost his entire short life. And darn if the holidays didn't ramp up the drinking. It's so sad because alcohol doesn't just numb the bad feelings. It numbs all the feelings. Alcohol killed my fun-loving, charismatic dad. I think as a young family, we were always holding our breath. In the early years, we hoped that he wouldn't drink at all. But that unrealistic dream gave way to hoping that he wouldn't drink so much that he would get belligerent and pick a fight with our mom. We hoped that it wouldn't be so much that there would be screaming and yelling and name-calling and doors slamming and dads leaving. Home is where the heart aches. I grew up in a time where you did not talk about your family issues. Yet even today, when we know better, we tend to move through life trying to hide our weakness and our brokenness. We are so fragile, and we so desperately need the spaces where we can be authentic, where we can be known, so that we can then experience grace and love and healing. 
This reminded me of a discovery I made one time on a, on a little run after a big storm. I was on a sidewalk by a very nice neighborhood with a massive fence running parallel to the road, I don't know, like eight inches wide, seven feet tall. All of the houses were protected by this formidable barrier. Well, during the storm, a tree had fallen, and it busted right through the fence, scattering chunks of that fence all over the ground nearby. Now, I know nothing about construction, but I was amazed when I saw what was under the plaster surface. Styrofoam. Lightweight, fragile styrofoam. A three-year-old can lift it. And I thought how this fence looked so strong and so secure, solid all the way through. But underneath the facade, it was weak and fragile, just like we all are. So I don't know your stories of sorrow or loss and maybe even dysfunction. I only know that every family suffers. You are not alone. Take a look at the holy family that we just read about. We pick up their story about a decade after King Herod was on a rampage to murder all of the male, all of the male toddlers in the region. <clears throat> this is the only story in the Bible of Jesus as a child. We have the infancy stories where Jesus was born, circumcised, and presented to the temple. And now we fast forward to the terrible twelves. They had taken their annual pilgrimage to, to the temple for the Passover feast with a large group of people from their village. After the festival had ended, they all headed back to Nazareth. Well, almost all. After a full day of traveling, Mary and Joseph experienced one of their worst nightmares that any parent could have. Their child was missing. To add insult to injury, they had actually lost the Son of God. At first, they casually searched for Jesus among their friends and relatives because this would be a normal thing in traveling in large groups on these journeys. But when no one had seen Jesus, I imagine that's when the terror set in. They frantically headed back to Jerusalem, and after three days, they found their 12-year-old in the temple, nonchalant, and oblivious to the stress that he had caused. Mary says what I think every mother has said at some point in her life. Child, why have you treated us like this? Well, one time when I was about five years old, my mom and my Auntie B took me shopping with them to the department store in the big town of Kalispell. So you know that they didn't leash their children back then. You didn't even really keep an eye on them too much, not as bad as in Jesus' day, but close. Well, I thought it would be fun to hide under the dress rack in that store. And at some point, my mom realized that she hadn't seen me for a little while. She wasn't really worried. She just called out my name. To this day, I cannot tell you why I didn't answer her or why I would lay on my belly with my little chin in my hands and watching as my mom and my Auntie B and the store manager ran up and down the aisles, frantically calling my name. I'd probably still be under that dress rack if someone hadn't spotted me. Well, my mom didn't actually say the words, child, why have you treated us like this? But I bet she was thinking them when she gave me that spanking right next to my hiding place. 
And then my Auntie B, who was still shaking, could have been thinking those words when she gave me another spanking as we were leaving the store. I'll be darned if I didn't get another spanking when we got to the car. So it seems like I gave them a pretty good dose of anxiety. Home is where the heart aches. It's interesting that this snapshot into the family of Jesus is not picture perfect, where everything goes right all the time. The parents were absolutely filled with anxiety. Their child was lost. You see, that's the kind of thing that can happen to a human family. Yet the love of God for you and for me is so big that God sent his son Jesus into this dark, scary world to become one of us. I think Max Lucado does a good job of helping us to grasp this concept of what God did. Lucado says, A family of black-tailed squirrels made its home amid the roots of the tree north of my office. We've been neighbors for three years now. They watch me peck the keyboard. I watch them store their nuts and climb the trunk. We're mutually amused. I could watch them all day. Sometimes I do. But I've never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? Give up the Rocky Mountains, bass fishing, weddings, and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts? Count me out, but count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a furry tail— It's nothing compared to God becoming a one-celled embryo and entering the womb of Mary. But he did. The God of the universe, kicked against the wall of a womb, was born into the poverty of a peasant and spent his first night in the feed trough of a cow. The word became flesh and lived among us. The solidarity Jesus has with us by becoming one of us changes everything. Think of the ways that God has used some negative experience or trauma in your life to soften your heart for someone who is going through something similar. Your shared experience gives you a tenderness and an avenue to comfort them with a deeper level of understanding and love because you, too, have been there. Perhaps remembering that as a human, Jesus experience suffering and pain, helps us to trust him with all of our hurts, knowing that he's been there. Listen to the poem by Anne Weems called Toward the Light. Too often our answer to the darkness is not running toward Bethlehem, but running away. We ought to know by now that we can't see where we're going in the dark. Running away is rampant. Separation is stylish. Separation from mates, from friends, from self. Run and tranquilize. Don't talk about it. Avoid. Run away and join the army of those who have already run away. When are we going to learn that Christmas peace comes only when we turn and face the darkness? Only then will we be able to see the light of the world. 
As we move towards the manger, the grief and the loss we carry seems to cast an even bigger shadow in the glow of all those twinkling Christmas lights. And I find myself asking the question, what do I do with the pain? And it's not just the heartache of family, and it may not necessarily be your personal pain. Think about the people you know who are worried about a diagnosis or are struggling with a loss or are living with regret or fear or some mental illness like depression. And then think about those we don't personally know, but for some reason the tragedy hits so close to home we're racked with sadness. Maybe the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue did it for you or the devastating fires in California. For me, it was the news of two sisters who had gone to Costa Rica to celebrate a 36th birthday. One of them left for home a day early. The the last text that they received from the sister who remained in Costa Rica was, it's kind of sketchy here. And just like that, she was gone. First lost, and then body found. I have been so sad thinking about this young woman and her family. This story hits especially close to home for me because two years ago, my two oldest daughters traveled to Costa Rica for a little celebration. They texted us about a sketchy area and how they didn't feel safe to stay in the hotel that they had booked online. Their dad booked them in another place, and they were fine. I feel guilty and so grateful that both of my daughters returned. We are so, so fragile. So what do we do with the pain that we're carrying? Anne Lamott says we must remember that we live in the hope that love is true, that God is true, that goodness is true, and that the light shines in the darkness and the light has never, ever been extinguished. And with that hope, she says, we must start right where we are, not knowing everything, perhaps deep in grief, at times speechless, in silence, with tears, and always, always in community. We have a beautiful, quiet little service in the chapel on December 21st called the Longest Night Service. We push back the darkness as we light candles of hope, We read poetry and scripture. We usually sing Silent Night. It is a community of caring people who are there for their healing or they are there in solidarity for someone else. The service is one of the ways we are trying to remind you, you are not alone. We worship a God of the hills and valleys, a God who draws near to us in all of our messy humanity a God who loves us so much, he became one of us. Dr. Maxwell Maltz, a plastic surgeon, tells a remarkable love story like this. A man had been burned and disfigured in a fire while attempting to save his parents from a burning house, but he couldn't get to them. They perished. He mistakenly interpreted his pain as God's punishment. This man would not let anyone see him, not even his wife. The wife went to Dr. Maltz for help, and he told her not to worry because he could restore her husband's face. 
She knew that her husband would refuse surgery again. So instead, she asked the doctor to disfigure her face so that she could be like him. She said if she could share his pain, maybe he would let her back into his life again. Dr. Maltz was shocked. He denied her request, but was so moved by her love that he shared this with her husband. And at last, the husband's soul felt its worth. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly.